11, and then we'll go over into 2 Chronicles 10. The bulk of our time will be in 2 Chronicles, but I would like to start in 1 Kings 11. The title of the lesson tonight is A Nation Divided, and we want to look at some some analogies that we can make from the Old Testament and then kind of look at what's going on today. 2 Kings 11, and I want to begin with verse 26. And so there's a gentleman by the name of Jeroboam, as you can see, And the last sentence of verse 26 says he lifted up his hand against the king. That is to say he rebelled against him. Verse 27 gives the reason, and it's because Solomon built and repaired the breaches of the city. There were some areas that were dilapidated and had fallen into disrepair. And Jeroboam was not happy with the corrections made. So verse 28 tells us, that Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house. Okay, after at this point, Jeroboam is out in the field one day, and a prophet by the name of Ahijah sees him. And Jeroboam has a new garment on. And the prophet walks up to Jeroboam, takes the garment tears it into all of these different pieces and gives him 10 pieces and holds back two. You can see that in verse 30. And then you can see that in 31. But he explained that he's going to be a ruler over those 10 pieces or those 10 tribes. And the reason the division is coming to the covenant nation of Israel is because verse 33, they've forsaken me and worship Notice these gods, Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways. And because of this prophecy, because of this favor, you can see in verse 40, Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam. And that's why Jeroboam went down into Egypt until uh, Solomon passed from the scene and died. So let's have a word of prayer, then we'll start working on a lot of this. Father, we do consider it a privilege to be able to spend time with your people, and we're grateful for the covenant that we have with you. And now as we look into these scriptures, we pray that you speak to all of our hearts about ourselves, about our nation, about whatever else may come to mind as the Spirit of the Lord brings things to remembrance. We're so grateful that you so loved the world. You gave your only begotten son to die on that cross for each of us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen, 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 amen. Okay, so that was 1 Kings 11, and that was just a brief statement regarding Jeroboam. Now we want you to go to 2 Chronicles 10, And just leave your Bible there. You know as well as I do that the nation of Israel was founded by God and they descended from Abraham and his seed. It was always God's plan for the children of Israel to be in relationship with him. And God told them, if if you're obedient, my blessing will be upon you. But if you're disobedient, trouble will come. Anytime the children of Israel were uprooted out of their land or foreign powers came into that land and usurped the authority of the local Israeli government, it was generally because they weren't doing what God told them to do. And as we read in 1 Kings 11, they started chasing after the gods of other cultures the surrounding people and people who also were living within the the precincts of Israel. And pretty soon people just started, you know, mixing the truth with the false. They lost the ability to distinguish between what was real, what was inauthentic. 
And God was displeased with that. So the prophet has to tell Jeroboam, you're going to become a king. And Jeroboam doesn't even know he's going to become a king until the prophet says it. But he's shocked by what he hears. But when Solomon comes after him and he goes into hiding, then I'm sure he knows that the prophet has declared something that is true. The nation divided in Second Chronicles 10 because Solomon died and Rehoboam, his son, came to the throne. And in verse 1, it tells us about his reign. In verse 2, it tells us Jeroboam returned. And then verse 3, it says Jeroboam and all of Israel came to Solomon's son. And they're going to say, look, when your dad was in power, he taxed us to death. And there were problems everywhere. And every time we looked up, he's taxing us because he's got a palace here. He's got these wives living here. He's got stables in this city. And it costs a whole lot of money to keep all of that. And so they went to him and they told him in verse four, your father made our yoke grievous. Could you please let up just a little bit? So here's what Rehoboam did. He went and spoke to the men who counseled his father, Solomon. These were the old men. And they said to him, if I were you, I'd lighten the load, lighten the burden a little bit. But the scripture says in verse eight of second Chronicles 10, he forsook the counsel that the aged old men gave him. And he went with the counsel of the young men that were raised with him. And the young men told him, don't let up, give them more. Make the burden harder. Now, here's the thing that's interesting to me when we consider our, our connections with our own nation. Now, we, we know that the people who came as the early pilgrims from Europe were looking for a place where they could have freedom to worship. And those early writers were under the impression that they were establishing a new covenant with the king. That is to say, they had a relationship with God and they came here, didn't want to forsake that relationship with God. They thought of themselves as a new kind of Israel. Now, America's not in the Bible or nothing like that, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But, but they came here with the impression that we're going to lead our lives according to Scripture. So all they had were Geneva Bibles and KJV Bibles. When they came here establishing their colonies, which is why we have all the different kinds of colonies that began on the East Coast in different names, Maryland, the land of folks that were followers of Mary. That's where most of your Catholics ended up. And then Georgia became an experiment in the early days for looking after orphan and orphans and, and people like that. So our early colonies all had a specific objective. You had to be a member of a church to be able to vote and so on and so forth. However, just like with the children of Israel, change comes and sometimes change comes rapidly. See, Now, in this instance, Rehoboam forsook the wisdom of the old people and went with the, the so-called wisdom of the young people. And that's where many nations start going astray. Because they turn their back on the elderly who have seen things, who have lived through, them, through some things in order to follow those that are young. Now, you can see this on television. If you watch most of your news channels, your experts are all 25, 26, 27. Yeah. These are the folks that wrote a master's thesis somewhere or got a got a Ph.D., but they're supposed to be experts on Putin and on the Middle East and on Islam. And we just seem to just run from one bit of confusion to the next bit of confusion because we don't have a whole lot of people that that have the wisdom that have influence in certain certain places in ancient times the elderly were people who were respected they were looked up to and they they were people who folks turned to in difficult times and in times of crises so this is what Rehoboam did 
Verse 11, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will put more to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I'll chastise you with scorpions. See, he's talking tough to them. He's not even respecting the people who have come to him with a request. And because he's disrespecting them, that is why the people turned against him. So verse 15, the king didn't hearken unto the people for the cause was of the Lord. In verse 16, it says the people then rebelled and says, look, if you're not going to listen to us, what exactly are we going to do? And 10 tribes withdrew from the commonwealth of Israel and they took Jeroboam as their leader in fulfillment of the prophecy that Ahijah gave to them. So this is a nation that is divided and it's divided not because it needed to be divided, but it's divided because of a lack of wisdom. And if you want to see a divided house, if you want to see a divided church, if you want to see divided communities and want to see a divided nation, let people who do not have wisdom run things. Now, what is wisdom? It is the the skillful application of knowledge. You can have a lot of knowledge, but knowing how to use it, when to use it, is absolutely essential. I mean, you can know everything there is to know about how to eat, but starve to death if you don't know how to pick up a fork and do it. See? And a person can know all the different parts of an engine, but if they don't have the wisdom to know how to take instruments and put them all together and make them work and grab this tool and that tool, then the knowledge doesn't do any good. And some people have knowledge, but don't have wisdom. And Rehoboam was just like that. He was a king that was determined to do what he wanted to do. And these are the same kinds of leaders we've had in the history of our nation. They won't listen to reason. They won't listen to people who have a sound mind. They listen to their cadre of fellows who are around them, and they say what they want to hear. And before you know it, you have a nation divided, and everybody's saying, well, I don't even know how we got like this. Of course we know how we got like this. Just resisting the truth that comes from God's word. And things got so bad in verse 18 of 2 Chronicles 10 that Rehoboam, he sent his IRS agent out to collect the tribute, and the Bible says they stoned him. Now, I wonder how many people in America think we tax too much. Every time you look up, there's a new tax. They're always talking about this, talking about that. I'm surprised we don't have a tax or something like that regarding how, how much air the average person breathes every day. Every time you look up, there's a there's a new tax. And so in ancient times, of course, you had to literally go to people's homes or to their place of business to collect the monies. It's not like today where people are able to do this online and and uh, send their monies in by wire transfers and everything like that when it comes to the government government. But if if it happened today where somebody showed up at your house every quarter to take taxes, do you think there'd be a whole lot of people that wouldn't answer the door? And there'd be a whole lot of people that would be gone on the day it's supposed to happen. And I guarantee you there would be some people who would attack the person showing up. That's what happened here. The Bible says they stoned this man and he died. Okay, so verse, uh, excuse me, chapter 11 uh, takes us into Rehoboam coming into Israel because the rebellion had begun And Rehoboam was so angry, you can see in verse 2 and 3, he wants to go to war against his own people. So this is a civil war he's trying to start. And in verse 4, the Lord tells him, don't do this. Don't go to war with your own people. Now now look at, at what we have seen in the last 18 months. Everything from rioting to looting and burning You have citizens in Portland and other places that were burning down the shops of fellow residents of the same state and the same city. And then you had people on television saying things like, well, if someone goes out and robs and loots a Gucci store, they have a right to go out and do it because the Gucci store is wealthy and they're going to be able to replace their inventory. That kind of mentality is what leads people to turn against one another. 
and civil war doesn't produce any kind of blessing other than a lot of bad memories, you see. But a nation that's divided cannot come into unity on anything because they don't think the same thing about the same issue. If you put a big portrait up here on the wall and you take five people and say, tell me the one outstanding feature in this portrait, I guarantee you five people will give you five different answers. Because everyone is focusing on the different thing. And every time we have an election and politics are up, they'll ask people, what are the top three things that matter to you most? And you get different answers. And for some people, none of the three even matter to them. See? So from a scriptural standpoint, we can see that civil war comes because the division is so great that people cannot harmonize their beliefs and they don't even take the time To try to unify. Now, Rehoboam in verse 5 says that he lived in Jerusalem and started working on these cities. And this is where it gets interesting. In verse 13, the priests and the Levites were in all Israel and they resorted to him. But the Levites, it says in verse 14, left their suburbs and their possession and they came to Judah and Jerusalem For Jeroboam and his sons had cast them off from executing the priest's office. Jeroboam was supposed to walk in the ways of God, follow the prophet's advice. He didn't do that. When he became king, rather than introducing the worship of the true God, he introduced the worship of calves And the next verse tells us of devils. In verse 15, he ordained priests for the high places and for all the devils and for the calves which he made. So here is a man that produced government appointed clergy, folks. Folks, don't be surprised if that ever happens around here. I'm telling you, we've got enough people in this nation whose mentality is so pagan and so wicked that if, if they started issuing licenses to certain people to start handling religious things, it wouldn't shock me at all. And the reason for that is that Jeroboam type of mind does not want to believe that there's one way to reach God. Don't want to believe that. Now, the foundations of our nation, despite all of its sins and flaws and all of that, the foundation of the nation was Jesus is number one. The American government first helped publish an edition of the Bible and helped put money behind the creation and the manufacturing and the dispersion of scriptures in this nation. But do you think you'd be able to get the government to do that today? You have a better chance with them publishing a new version of the Koran or a book related to Buddhism than you would with them dealing with the scriptures. And because of that, we see over and over again now, all of this that comes into the church that is changing what people believe. So we've got calves, we've got idols, we've got devils that are in the church, and we have a priesthood and a clergy that goes out of its way to lead the people to worship that, and we wonder why we're divided. So the nation is not in agreement with a lot of these different things. We're certainly not in agreement with what we should believe about God. Okay, well, if if he's ordaining, if he's ordaining priests and he's taking the true priests and expelled them from their positions of influence, this is why those Levites have come to Rehoboam. And when they came to Rehoboam, Rehoboam ended up with three years, you can see that in verse 17, three years where he actually walked with God. Can you see how it's important the kind of people we have around us? If we have people around us who know God and who encourage us in the things of God, even if we're bullheaded and stubborn, we'll at least maybe try to move in those particular directions. But right now, we're, we're, we're watching the Jeroboam ministry as it continues to multiply all across the nation, and it's pulling people further and further away from God. So the the church then, the true church, doesn't have a whole lot of options other than to stand on the word because the apostate believers 
are doing everything they can to get into the church. Now, how do they get in? The, the, the protocols in public are so explicit about how you're to interact with one another. See, what you can say and not say. Don't want to offend anybody. So even under Jeroboam, I guarantee you, when he started creating his own altar and his own calves, he was making sure that people knew, don't you say to these folks that are worshiping Baal that their God is wrong. And don't you say to any of them that God disapproves of their lifestyle. And when they started building what they called the houses of the Sodomites, you better believe that there were a whole lot of folks in those communities saying, how dare you think that God doesn't love us in all that we're doing? Why would a God of love not approve of us? And with the plethora of gods and the pluralism of religion, people learned to live together and accept all faiths as the same. This is where we've come as a nation. So we listen to preacher after preacher get up and tell the congregation that you need to learn to accept the beliefs of other religions. Oh, no, I don't. I need to love people. I need to show compassion to people. But I need to make sure I stay with the book. I stay with the book. Yeah, I stay with the book. Because once I leave the book, then I have to embrace a new gospel. Once I embrace the new gospel, my heart and my mind is changed. Once my heart and my mind is changed, then I then conform my life to the new gospel that I'm believing. And pretty soon it doesn't even look like the Bible anymore. How do you talk people into going to the temple on one day to worship Jehovah and then on the next day bowing down before a calf? You got to have a Jeroboam type of priest to, to do that. And when the preachers today, whether they're on television, radio, or just in some uh, pulpit in a church or privately in someone's home, when they say, now, look, I, we, we cannot believe that somebody who's involved with Hinduism, that they really don't have a relationship with God. Do we really want to be that judgmental and say that? And of course, when a, when a Christian hears that, then they immediately go into shame and guilt because, because they feel like, well, I'm being too judgmental and I'm being too mean. When the bottom line is, you've got to draw a line in the sand just like Moses did when them folks were worshiping the calf when he came down the hill. And you've got to say, everybody on the Lord's side better get here quick because there's trouble coming over there. And don't ever change what you believe, regardless of what the king and the government says. I'm really concerned that uh, in our nation, they'll start banning Bibles. I'm not trying to, you know, sound the alarm of panic, but I'm, I'm just telling you the way this thing is going, that degenerated mind is so opposed to the truth of God's word that they don't want people to have the right to speak. So if you've got these social media people that won't let you talk if you're Christian or conservative, and then you've got 95% of the media that's totally opposed to Christian perspectives unless, unless it's a mixture, and, and, and then you have politicians that attend fellowships where there's nothing but a mixture, and then we have people locally who privately hold views that are formed by a mixture of beliefs, then we wonder why we're watching this thing slowly go downhill as everyone is praying. And folks, we've got to pray. We need to pray. We must pray. But who would have thought 25 years ago that we see so much same-sex stuff in our schools out here in rural America? I know it wasn't like that when I first came out here. Who would have thought years ago that you could have uh, preachers well, I just use an illustration. I remember when we first came out here to plant the fellowship uh, here in Hebron. I remember a local church one time had a service where they were inviting people to come. And, and in that service, they sent out all these little notices to people. Some of the folks in our church got it. But they had this deal 
where they wanted somebody to come in and there's a lady there and she had put like a pendulum there in the middle of the sanctuary floor and had people praying in different directions, praying to the goddess Diana. And then at the end, wanted everybody to take communion with honey and wafers. If somebody would have told me that would happen out here, I would have said you've lost your mind. But that was when we first started out here. The deception is here. The roots of it have been here for a while. And there are multitudes of people that have bought into this. I once believed that with the older folks and the elderly people, there was wisdom. I was like that man who was in the book of Job. Said He was sitting there listening to Job's comforters talking. He said, I've been listening to you folks. You're dumb as a rock. You know, he just... He said, I thought you guys had some wisdom, don't have it at all. But, but through the years now, I, I've come to see, and it's been embarrassing to me, to see the number of folks in their 70s and 80s who don't even know the difference between right and wrong in accordance with God's scripture. Now, they've been in church They know how they were raised. The anchor was put in their heart. The word of God was declared to them. But somewhere along the line, a preacher started coming along saying things like, well, you know, hell really is just a state of mind. See, and someone else comes along and says, well, the only hell you're really going to have to deal with is just the bad stuff that's going on today. You know, God is such a loving God. He would never let people go to a place where there's fire. And folks started listening to that and embracing that teaching. And before you knew it, Jeroboam's priesthood was preaching in the smaller towns out here in rural America. And we're trying to figure out why every time we look up, we have one new piece of legislation or some new thing being pushed down our throat. And what I'm wondering is, How can the carnal mind continue to devise these things? But that carnal mind is contrary to the word of God. And the scripture says it cannot be tamed. See, it's got to be washed and renewed. It's got to be crucified. You can't take that carnal mind and cause it to function in accordance with scripture because it despises everything about the holiness of God. Yeah, it's terrified by the holiness of God. People don't mind if you pray in the name of a Hindu God. Nobody's going to say anything to you if you pray in the generic name of God. But as soon as you mention that name, Jesus, people's hair going to stand up on the back of their necks. Veins are going to pop out. Folks are going to be angry because that name carries too much data and information with it. If you mention Jesus, you're talking about God has a son. So you're going to offend Jewish people and you're going to offend Muslim people. If you mention Jesus, you're saying that Jesus came into this world to die on the cross for people's sins. So now you're offending people by saying that they're sinners. How dare we use that kind of adjective to describe people who everybody has a spark of divinity in them. See, And if you're saying Jesus, you're saying that he came off that cross, they put him in a tomb, and then he was raised again, and he's at the right hand of the Father where one day he's going to sit as judge over all of us. And you're saying that all of our behavior and our lifestyle is going to one day be accountable in the presence of God. And who wants to live in a world where they actually have to give an account for what they're doing? See, See? So this is why we have a nation divided. You have a true church in the midst of all of this that's not a true church. And the true church is holding fast to what the word of God says. But but there's trouble coming in every direction. I was telling my wife this uh, earlier because she was telling me about the, the judge over in Michigan that said Wayne State, university people, that they have a right to be a Christian group and have a law that says All leaders have to be Christian. So the judge supported their decision. But here's what I told my wife. But I said those pagan people and people who don't love God, they are going to continue to push 
Christians and anybody they can think of into as many corners as they can so that they have to go to court. And wherever they go to court and support and they're supported by the legal system, they'll stop. But where they don't take up a case, they'll just keep pushing it and just make it happen. See, just make it happen. And most Christians, we, we are meek and... You know, we have much more of a humble spirit. We don't want to be in court and fighting, but a nation divided against itself is not standing. You see, it's not standing. Now, notice, notice in chapter 12 here, chapter 12 in Second Chronicles, it says, It came to pass when Rehoboam had established the kingdom and strengthened himself, he forsook the law of the Lord and all Israel with him. So he did right for a season. See, he had Levites around him. But now he decides that he's going to go his own way and do his own thing. And that's how a lot of people are. When, as long as they have trouble, and they don't have all the resources that they need. They're on their knees crying out to God. But then God gives them a little bit of extra stuff and brings them into a place of plenty. Then before you know it, people start thinking, well, I don't need God as much as I thought that I needed him. Let me do this. Uh, John, right there behind you, run that up a little higher. I see some people getting a little chilly in here. I don't want people being too cold during the. Yeah, yeah there we go. I turned I turned it down low because I wanted to make sure nobody went to sleep tonight. See? Yeah. OK. So because he forsook the Lord. And God had an answer. Verse number two. The king of Egypt came up against Jerusalem because they transgressed. Folks, the children of Israel is the example for us. If we do what we supposed to do, then God looks out for us. And that's what the scripture teaches. It said all these things happen to them as types and shadows for us upon whom the end of the age has come. I'm not saying that if you're a Christian, you're not going to have problems and you're going to have roses for sure. You're going to have thorns on on the roses. But I am trying to tell you that it's a whole lot better to have God in your corner than to have God as your foe. And the Bible says if God is for you, who can be against you? And when a nation turns against God, the scripture says in the Psalms, that nation is turned into hell. That nation is turned into a graveyard. You just sit back and watch death as it sweeps over across that nation. Well, if the Egyptians are going to come, you can see in verse 4, they, they came with hundreds of people and they took the fenced cities yeah. And then verse five, the prophet came to Rehoboam and spoke to him and said, you have forsaken me. Therefore, have I also left you in the hand of Shishak? Now, we've got plenty of prophets in America today, so-called prophets in America today. But very few of them are prophesying that America has left the Lord or turned away from truth. Most of the people who want to claim to be prophets, the only thing they want to keep telling us is about the great revival that's coming and about who's going to be in office. But at some point, someone needs to be able to declare the mind of God. And it really doesn't matter to me which president is in office. When, when they have the presidential prayer breakfasts, I don't know if you realize it, but they send out these invitations to pastors and independent people and folks from all religions now. And and when they come to the prayer breakfast, they are specifically told when you're up there, don't mention Jesus name. Don't say anything that will put the president in a negative light. And they just give them this whole battery list of things they can and cannot do. And then they're supposed to get up there and just act like everything is going wonderful. Now, can you imagine somebody like Elijah walking across the stage somewhere in America and receiving an award for being the most outstanding religious figure of the year? It would never happen. Because the man knew that Ahab and Jezebel were wicked and he would never allow his lips to say something contrary to the truth of God's word. But preachers today for influence, for affluence, for the opportunity to have relations with powerful people. They'll compromise every standard that they have. And it doesn't matter if the president is a Republican or a Democrat. 
Preachers will compromise what they believe just so they can be in the next White House photo. That stuff should not matter to us. The thing that should matter to us is what does the scripture say? Who cares if the governor or the state legislator or the local mayor is displeased with your views if your views are in accord with what the Bible teaches? See, stand for the word of God. And when you don't, here come, here come the Egyptians. But the prophet came and declared, you turn from God. And then verse, verse number six, it says, the princes of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, the Lord is righteous. See, that's always the right thing. Hear the word of God and then humble ourselves. Our presidents, our Congress don't have the opportunity as they should, to be able to humble themselves because the chaplains up there can't pray the kind of prayers that are necessary to drive men and women to their knees seeking God. The kinds of prayers that need to be prayed up there on Capitol Hill. Now, when I went up there to the state legislature to uh, pray up in Lincoln that time, they send me a whole little list on the email, what I'm supposed to say and what I'm not supposed to say. Pastor got right up there and said what he wanted to say. That's exactly how I prayed. And afterwards, when they formed the little line and they're shaking hands, they were all thanking me for what I prayed and what I said. One after another, were telling me secretly, you know, we listen to you on Sunday morning on KRV. <laughs> Pulling me to a side, letting us know. And Tiffany and I talked to several of those state legislatures privately and just heard about the warfare and the different kinds of things going on. Some of those senators, so backslidden and away from God, wouldn't even come in for the prayer because they don't have a spiritual life. But yet these are the kinds of people that are governing this state. And we wonder why we're in the condition that we're in. We're in this condition because of the kind of people folks elect. Look at verse 7. When the Lord saw that they humbled themselves, the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah and said, You've humbled yourselves, therefore I will not destroy them, but I will grant them some deliverance, or a little while. And my wrath shall not be poured out upon Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. So the Lord was using the foreign power as his hand of judgment upon the nation of Israel. God help us that we never have the red sun flying on a flag here representing China in America. See, if 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 our nation continues in the direction that it's going, something like that could happen. See? Foreign powers flying there airplanes uh, around the uh, airspace of America. It doesn't have to be that way, but we just have people who are interested in the cultures of the world and they want our nation to be like everybody else. And just as Ginsburg said that she thought we ought to have a constitution like South Africa, I just cringed. I said, you got to be kidding me. Why in the world would we want to be like them? And whenever I hear somebody say, we, we need to learn to adopt some of the policies of Europe, I'm saying, well, look at each one of those nations. They're broke and barely can take care of themselves. Why do we want to adopt the policies that they have that don't work? Somebody says, well, you know, I, I think the, the religion of of the Indian people and Pakistanis and Bangladeshis. I think that would be good for America. But look, they've got folks dying in the streets over there. They won't even eat meat because their religion won't let, let them. But yet we're supposed to change what we believe. Then I hear a wealthy man saying in America that we all need to stop eating beef and steak and all of that. And he's probably got a staff of chefs at his house to make sure he eats a thousand dollar meal every time he sits down. Here we are. See, all of this comes out of a mind that is totally opposed to God. But verse number eight, it says, nevertheless, they shall be Shishak's servants that they may know my service and the service of the kingdoms of the countries. So verse nine, it says the king of Egypt came to Jerusalem and took away what? The treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king house. He took everything. He carried away also the shields of gold which Solomon had made. He knew where the money was. All the surrounding nations knew that the temple was filled with wealth. And whenever Israel was going to be conquered by anybody, they wanted to get to that temple because they knew that's where all the good stuff was at. And they knew they needed to get to the king's palace. 
or imagine all of these folks coming into God's house, taking out the most expensive things, gold doors, gold furniture, items that are overlaid with gold. And I mean, and there's nothing the Israelites can do. There's nothing the king can do. He's just watching foreigners carry it all out. Don't tell me that we don't see the same thing naturally in our own nation. Where people tell you all the time, Wall Street isn't even really owned by us anymore. It's owned by foreign powers. We can't even go into foreign nations and own anything. We can lease something in the name of a citizen of that country. But people can come here from a foreign country and they can buy stuff in their own name. And we don't have a problem with it. Ninety percent of our ports are owned by people from uh, Arabian, from the Arabian Gulf area. Most Americans don't even know that. You look at our television industry, what's supposed to be conservative is owned by Muslims. Little by little, we see over and over again that there has just been this desire to move to where the wealth is and slowly take it out. And it's happening. And we watch in, in the church. So where there once were shields of gold that were useful for decoration, maybe for battle, we can't even fight back anymore. I think it was during the days of the judges where the uh, Moabites and Philistines and everybody came in and they attacked the Israelites and made sure they took away all the blacksmiths so that they couldn't even build or create any kind of weapons of war. So they couldn't stand up for themselves. So look at our churches today. Many churches are poor. Many churches are broke. Got to have a soup and supper dinner every other week just to try to have a little extra money for this or for that. And then not even realize that the only reason people don't give and support it in the first place is because there's very little gospel there. So since they don't preach or teach anything worth believing in, the people are so discouraged they don't even come to church and want to give and support. Tithe. Oh, my goodness. Why in the world would I want to tithe to an institution that is contrary to what I believe at home, even if I won't come and say it publicly in the church in a business meeting? So we're seeing this and we're watching this. The shields of gold have been stolen. All of the ones that Solomon made. So here's what here's what Rehoboam did in verse 10. He made shields of brass. Yeah. And committed them to the chief of the guard. (laughs) How do you like that? So the the quality now has gone down. And you've got to just use whatever it is that they give you in order to work in the king's house and in order to be a guard. So you 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 understand this 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 whole principle. Here's the book, folks. Here's the book. Here's the word of God. Here's the shield of faith. And look at how this book has been attacked in so many different ways. Yeah. The average modern translation probably has at least nine thousand differences and variations from this. Because of so many differences, there's utter confusion about what's right, what's wrong. People say over and over again, because every generation changes and the English language changes, we have to have a a new translation for each group of people. But you know as well as I do, you can read a newspaper from 100 years ago and understand it just as well as you can read the Hebron Journal. There's no change. It's just because of how people want to modify what's in the word of God. So we've exchanged shields of gold and now we've got shields of brass and we filled the church with unbelieving tares and we wonder where the wheat is at. Yeah, we've lost it. See, we've lost it. We've taken ungodly people, taught them how to be religious took people that have never been born again, convinced them in a Sunday school that they are saved. And so the church now has boards and leadership filled with people that never have had a new birth experience and have never had a real encounter with God. Yeah. Shields of brass. Script, scripture says they kept the entrance of the king's house. Now I'm smart enough to know that as a pastor, most stuff won't get into the flock if I don't let it in, so I got to keep my eyes open. I pay attention 
what people are saying to me, what new beliefs I hear springing up and all of that. But, but there are a whole lot of people not discerning enough to, to know that, that kind of a thing. But if I'm a keeper of the entrance, then I know what comes in, then I know what gets to stay in. So as a, as a teacher of the word of God and of the power of the Holy Ghost, and understanding the power of the blood and the name of Jesus Christ. If somebody comes along with something that's kind of weird, then I'm like, what in the world is this all about? You know, I had had somebody uh, years ago came out to a Bible study and I think they were talking to two or three people and was telling them that when it says that Cain was of that wicked one talking about the devil, that, um, this this man was trying to teach that Eve had a physical relationship with the devil. And that's how Cain was born. And I was like, what in the world is this? And so I, I just remember uh, standing over there by that door talking with someone. And he was trying to explain to me that Eve had had physical relations with with that serpent. And I said, you know, that that doesn't make any sense at all. There's nothing in the Bible about that. Said, well, you just got to study it out and just see it with with, with deeper detail. And as he was talking to me, I was leading him right over there to the door. And I opened up that door and I said, somewhere out there, there's probably some people that believe what you believe, but they're not here. They're not here. They're not here. You got to be a keeper of the entrance. And it's the same thing with your house. It won't get in your house if you don't let it in. I don't care who he uh, is dating, who she is dating. If, if you believe that this is not a good situation, they don't have to be coming into your house sitting there at that dinner table. Yeah, you, you, make, the, you make the decision and you have to be strong about that. With a lot of parents in the other churches, I can tell you right now, I prayed a whole lot of young men and young women out of people's lives. Oh, yes, we didn't got together in agreement and say, Lord, we know this one is a devil. <laughs> and this is not going to stand, God. And so we're, we're believing right now. You're about to close every opportunity. I don't have, I don't care how you do it. Just cause their feelings to go in the opposite direction. But we are not in agreement about this. Yeah, you have to be this way. Because if you're not this way, the devil comes in and does whatever he wants to do. And then everybody sit back and they say, well, I just can't believe this even happened. Oh, yes, you can. You didn't open up your mouth and say anything. Okay, let's move on. So verse 11, the king entered into the house of the Lord. The guard came and fetched those shields. And when he humbled himself, the wrath of the Lord turned from him that he would not destroy him altogether. And also in Judah, things went well. So we understand then that if we humble ourselves when we hear God's word, then we can avert a lot of problems. Uh, verse 13 says, King Rehoboam strengthened himself in Jerusalem and reigned. Now, we reign in Christ Jesus. That's what the New Testament teaches. And the Bible says in Ephesians to be strengthened in our inner man. So there's several things we can do. We can pray in the Holy Spirit. We can uh, take the time to read the scripture, but certainly we strengthen our mind. We strengthen our heart. We feed that inner man so that it becomes stronger because the more we know of God's word, the more we trust in God's word, the better our reign will be. Now, we may not be kings over a town or a village or a city, but you are king of your own life and king of your family. And you have to make the kind of decision what, what kind of reign you want, want to have. It says Rehoboam in verse 13, he reigned, he started his reign when he was 41 years of age. He reigned 17 years. But if you go back and track everything I've been teaching, his problem started within his first three years. See, the kind of reign you're going to have, the kind of walk with God you're going to have as a Christian is going to be determined by how you humble yourself in the sight of God. If our nation doesn't do it, our nation will be in trouble. But if the church does it and we do it, he still will look after us. See, plagues came to Egypt, but everything in Goshen was looking good, looking good. 
And just because other people are having difficulties during this season, I promise you, God can still supply your needs according to his riches and glory. When other people are facing difficulties. So verse 14, and here's where we'll stop. And he did evil because he prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. So let's make sure that we do that. Let's prepare our heart to pursue God, to chase after God. You say, how, how do we do that? Well, you wake up each day and you, you begin the day with the king. Yeah. And then as opportunity presents itself during the day, continue to meditate on that word. At the end of the day, still find a few moments just to read the scripture. Let God deal, deal with your heart as you are, you're going to bed. But, but pursue the Lord. Now, I'm not a legalist about everything I'm just, I just, just told you. But, but you know that the same way you pursued the love of your life, that's how you ought to pursue God. Yeah. Now, there are people that will drive hours just to spend time with the person they love. I'm talking about when they're dating. And then, you know, when they get them, then they, you know, people start taking one another for granted a little bit then. But when it comes to your relationship with God, you should pursue him all the time. He's lovely. Absolutely glorious. And he's one person that will never let you down. Amen. Amen. How many of you think our nation needs prayer? Yeah, no, no doubt. No doubt. And, and even right out here in the heartland, thank the Lord for all of you to still hold fast the truth and believe in the word of God. But we need more. I know, I know there are a bunch of other ones in other churches, but I'm still saying all of us together, we still need more because on the average Sunday morning in these towns out here with a thousand people or less, I guarantee you two thirds of the people are still in bed. They're not in church and they're not hearing the word of God proclaimed. And some of the ones that are in church aren't hearing the word of God proclaimed. But let's pray. Father, help us to uh, be dynamic witnesses for you, to hold fast the faith firmly in the, the middle of an, a changing world. I pray, God, that you would help us to be uh, the kind of witness that would lead others to faith in your son. May we never be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, just like in Hebrews and other places where people were persecuted and had difficulties, if we ever have to bear a chain, a persecution because of our relationship with you, let us kiss the chain because we love you. You bore the cross for us, God. And the one thing we can do is let everybody know how wonderful you are. We pray for our nation. We pray for our president. We pray for his family. We pray for that cabinet. We pray for those folks on Capitol Hill. Lord, surround them with some people that could counsel them where they could humble themselves. And Father, I pray that you'd speak to them in dreams and in visions. Send angels across their path. Do whatever you need to do to get them on their knees crying out to you and help them to see that the word of the Lord is much more important than the opinion of masses of people. Give them the ability to stand up against those whose minds and opinions and views are perverse. And help us, O oh God, to live for you. Have mercy, Lord, on this wonderful nation in which we live. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen.